I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Legislation that would provide incentives to drug makers to repurpose existing pharmaceuticals as rare disease treatments is once again in the works. Known as the OPEN Act, proponents say it would help address a gap in the drug development landscape. At one point, the bill had been folded into the 21st Century Cures Act, but it had been stripped out before passage. We spoke to Max Bronstein, Chief Advocacy and Science Policy Officer the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases about the legislation, why it's needed, and what it'll take to get passed. Max, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. We're going to talk about proposed legislation known as the Open Act, where it stands and why it's needed. Let's start with the Act itself, which at one point had been folded into the 21st Century Cures Act, but was not included in the bill that passed. What would the OPEN Act do? So, yeah, I'm glad you're, you're asking this question because this is a really great time to be talking about the OPEN Act. So when, when we look at rare diseases, we, we know that there's a variety of challenges facing patients who have a rare disease. And, and one of the biggest of those is the fact that the vast majority of patients do not yet have an FDA-approved treatment. So, you know, I, I think most of the people listening, you know that there's a very commonly held statistic of there's 7,000 or possibly more rare diseases. In fact, I, I think as genome sequencing becomes more common, we'll probably um, be looking at a, a larger number of known rare diseases. And as the problem goes, uh, you know, the more diseases that we have, um, it turns out that it's, it's very hard to kind of keep up with that in terms of the development of, of new treatments. So we have thousands of rare diseases, the vast majority of which do not yet have an FDA-approved treatment. So that's the big challenge that, that we, one of the big challenges that we see facing uh, patients. And when, when we look at ways to, to have an impact on this, and, and we're calling this the innovation gap because you have all of these diseases that still need to be treated. Um, and so what we are proposing to do with, with the OPEN Act is, for the first time ever, create an incentive to really um, get companies more engaged in, in the rare disease space. And what we are proposing to do is use a, an incentive that would actually um, extend exclusivity, which is the amount of time that companies get to market a drug exclusively um, in order to incentivize them to do uh, a clinical trial for a therapy to see if it would work in a rare disease population. So in essence, we want to take drugs that have already been developed, test them in, in rare disease patient populations and see um, if they could be helpful for those rare diseases. And if the answer is, is yes, then it's proven both safe and effective by the FDA. Um, then that therapy would, would basically get an expanded label, a, a new indication for, for rare diseases. So we ultimately think that this uh, change could bring about hundreds of new rare disease therapies. And uh, more, almost as importantly, it could actually bring 
new competition to the market in the rare disease space. So we see that as a way of helping to actually bring down the, the cost of, of rare disease care and rare disease therapies overall. So we view this as something that could be a, a huge win for, for patients and for industry alike. Why wasn't it included in the 21st Century's Act? Does that suggest there's a problem of support within Congress for it? So 21st Century Cures Act was, was huge. It was a, a big landmark effort and totally bipartisan. And there was a lot of support at the time, actually, for uh, the Open Act to be included. But there were some members of Congress who were who were concerned about the legislation and, and the current environment. I think you and, and certainly everyone listening knows that um, there have been a huge number of, of scandals recently, pricing scandals, uh, and that's made it more difficult to, to build support for, for legislation um, that, that creates an incentive, basically, to, to get more therapies to market. So that has been kind of our, our biggest challenge with, with the OPEN Act is helping members of Congress understand just how critical and important incentives have been for driving biomedical innovation for unmet medical needs. So I think a really good example of this is something called the Best Pharmaceuticals for Children Act, which is what we actually modeled the OPEN Act off of. It's the exact same incentive in, in that bill, which has been um, law for over 10 years now, uh, has, has actually led to hundreds of label changes for, for pediatric indications. So it's been really transformative in the way that uh, doctors treat pediatric uh, patients and pediatric conditions and actually now have a very large uh, evidence base when, when they're trying to make decisions about how to prescribe drugs for, for kids, basically. So we, you know, and, and we wanted to use that example to model uh, the, the OPEN Act after. So we, we think it could be just as impactful or, or more impactful, assuming we can Get it, get enough support in Congress to, to pass it this time. You, you talked a, a bit about the large number of rare diseases for which there are no approved therapies. Talk a little about the strategy of repurposing and why that's so important to to finding treatments for rare diseases. Happy to do that. So, uh, when we think about the, the kind of different approaches to actually developing. Uh, new drugs, it, it turns out that many of the drugs that have already gone through the entire clinical development process and are actually on the market today, many of them have the potential for to be used um, in multiple diseases. And the the wonderful thing about repurposing is is you're actually leveraging so much of the investment and, and the work and science and research that has already gone into developing a drug, and you're basically you know, leveraging that to use it again for, for a rare disease indication. So um, it turns out that repurposing as, as a drug development strategy is not only far less expensive, but tends to be much faster than developing drugs from scratch, which I think most people know that, that drug development, in addition to being an uncertain process, can actually take, um, you know, five, ten years in some cases, which is an incredibly long timeline. And Certainly for patients who are facing rare progressive diseases, that's, that's absolutely too long to wait. So when we talk about repurposing, it turns out to be, you know, not only cheaper, but a much faster way of, of getting a potentially safe and potentially effective treatment to, to patients who, who need them. One avenue doctors have today is, is to prescribe a drug off-label. 
what's wrong with just relying on that approach rather than giving big incentives to drug companies to do this type of development? Right. So ops label is definitely the, the kind of standard of care for, for rare disease patients. But we've always posited that, that rare disease patients deserve better. Um, and, and I say that because when you prescribe something off-label, it typically means you're using a drug that has not been developed for the disease that, that you're attempting to treat. And so what, what that means is you don't have, typically don't have as robust clinical data and clinical evidence about the effectiveness and safety of that drug. There have been studies showing that off-label use actually has a higher likelihood of adverse events and, and adverse reactions. So it push, puts those patients at um, a relatively higher risk. Um, and, and then as a patient, it can be extremely challenging to get reimbursement for either a drug or it could be a surgery or some other treatment that, that is given off-label. So for all of those challenges, you know, we would like to see more drugs actually transition from off-label to on-label use. And we see the open act as the most expedient and and really the best pathway out there to making that possible. You've said the Open Act would address a gap in the, in the drug development landscape. Can, can you explain? Yes. I'm happy to, to provide some more detail on that. So I, I think for for many rare diseases now in this sort of post-Orphan Drug Act world, we you know we have sufficient incentive, especially for rare diseases that might have 100,000 patients or 50,000 patients in, in the U.S. Or, or more, but there there's still a, a, a substantial lack of incentives for the diseases that could be considered ultra-rare or ultra-orphan, diseases that only affect, say, maybe 100 or 50 patients in the entire country. So that's an area where, where there are really almost no uh, incentives in place to, to really bring possible treatments to patients in that area. And, and that's actually a space where we think the Open Act could be helpful because the the incentive that that Open would offer would actually level the playing field. So the the company could get the benefit of of the incentive regardless of the size of the patient population that that the repurposed drug would treat. So that's why we we think Open could be such a game changer because it would actually help these uh, these rare, very rare, and ultra orphan these populations who, quite frankly, have, have been overlooked in, in the current sort of incentive and in, in legislative landscape. Uh, I know you've recently responded to critics in a health affairs blog uh, who had suggested that the Open Act would confer incentives that were just too generous given the instrument, it would, were, given the investment drug companies would, would be required to make. Where have critics' assumptions been off on this, and, and what's the case to be made for the legislation on a, on a cost-benefits basis? So there, there are a lot of drugs that have already been developed that could be considered blockbusters. We actually don't have a formal definition of, of blockbusters, but uh, it turns out that many of those drugs um, that are already on the market could be hugely beneficial to rare disease patients, but unless there's some incentive for, for companies to do the clinical research and, and do the testing on them, you know, we will never know how well or, or whether they're, they're truly safe or truly effective in, in those rare disease indications. So, um, you know, that's why we think we, we do need to have this, this incentive. And, uh, you know, 
what we would like to see happen is more companies get into the rare disease space. We, you know, view that as, as a pathway to ultimately achieving the goal of creating a world where instead of having 95% of these diseases with no treatment, we actually flip that statistic on its head and have maybe only 5% of diseases that, that don't have a treatment. But in order to do that, you really need to set up uh, incentives and, and create a drug development system that will, will allow the development of, of rare disease therapies that, that are ultimately able to happen in a way that's both faster and more cost-efficient than the current system allows. You mentioned the Best Pharmaceuticals for Children Act, which the OPEN Act is, is based on. Are, are there some good examples of, of how these types of incentives have, have really worked to create new treatment options for rare disease patients? Yeah, I, I believe there are. So, um, you know, and in the case of the Best Pharmaceuticals for Children Act, that bill came about, it was actually signed into law in 2002, but one of the reasons that it was formed and ultimately became law was people recognized that there were hundreds of drugs on the market that, that had been tested and really developed for adult populations. So, um, you know, these drugs were out there, but we had very little clinical knowledge about, um, you know, whether they would be safe or effective for, for kids. So after that, that law was passed in 2002, it required, um, it didn't require, but it would create an incentive for companies that chose to initiate a pediatric study of, of their drugs. And so in the last about 15 years since that law has existed, there there have been about um, 600 label changes in, in the pediatric space, which have been attributed to, to the incentive that EPCA put in place. So, you know, all, you know, that's a, a very huge body of evidence showing that uh, incentives work and, and they can be hugely impactful in, in areas of unmet medical need. Were we in the process of advancing the Open Act? So right now we're, we're in the process of building support in, in the House and in the Senate. Um, we do have a House bill and very happy to report that it's uh, co-sponsored by Congressman uh, Bill Rackus, Butterfield, and Mike McCall. So we have bipartisan support in the House and we're up to 14 co-sponsors. Um, we have a, a very healthy mix of, of both Democrats and Republicans. On the Senate side, we, we are working very closely with our, our champion, uh, Congressman, uh, sorry, Senator Hatch from, uh, from Utah, who's, who's been just an incredible rare disease champion. And we're, we're working to build support on the Democratic side of the aisle as well. I will tell you that, you know, working in the Senate, it tends to be slower going than, than in the House. So, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to see some, some progress and, and hopefully see a Senate bill in the near future. Any, any guess on timing when this, this might be moved to a committee or out of a committee? Yeah, it's very, it's very hard to predict timing right now. I, I think, um, coming off of healthcare reform, Congress is still trying to decide what, what their sort of top priority will be in, in the coming weeks and, and months here. But, um, I, I do believe we'll we'll see some substantial progress here and, and hopefully the next um, month or so. But in the meantime, there's lots of opportunities for advocates to take action, to contact Congress, and ask for, for their members to support the, the Open Act. Well, what can people who are concerned about the legislation do? So we have a, an action alert on the, the Every Life Foundation website, and in about 30 seconds, someone can plug in their, their address and 
It will allow them to connect directly with their representatives in the House and in the Senate and to express their support for for the legislation. And, and if we want to see the OPEN Act become law, it's absolutely essential for members of Congress to hear from their constituents and, and hear, you know, why this is so important to them at a, at a personal and, and a local level. So we encourage folks when they take action to, you know, provide some detail about what, what it's like to live with the rare disease and, and how it's impacted their lives and ultimately how they think the OPEN Act could could actually help them um, and, and ideally get them an on-label treatment one day. So that's what we've been encouraging advocates to do. And folks, if, if they have questions, they are more than welcome to, to contact me about getting more involved in advocacy for the Open Act. Max Bronstein, Chief Advocacy and Science Policy Officer for the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases. Max, thanks as always. Great being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>